Blog Talk Radio. Great joy and good afternoon, my friend. The Nepalese meditation bowl is chiming, centering your mind and delight on the art of the CEO. The show that brings you the wisest counsel and most fascinating people in the business community from all around our terrestrial orb. I am Bart Jackson, your Hieronymus Bosch of business. And this day, we are going to address the makers and users of one of business's greatest current passions. No, my friend, it's not seeking wisdom. And no, it's not even seeking money. Money's only giving man a fish for a day. Business has gone wild craving data. The bigger, the better. For And uh, for that, it's, it's viewed as the font of all wealth. And the problem with all this vital passion is that those who are forever finding more innovative and helpful ways to create all this data with the managerial forces who are putting this new toolbox into action. And so whose fault is it that management um, and techs are not connecting? Well, that's irrelevant. The real question is how to fix it and how to bring these two powerful, cleverly innovative groups together, working for the joy and profit of all concerned. And who better than to act as our Virgil through the Stygian corporate swamp of misunderstanding than Mr. Gene Kim, award-winning CTO and author uh, most recently of novels, yes, I said business novels, The Phoenix Project and now The Unicorn Project. So he has researched and authored (laughs) them, and they are gems. So using the scheme of that great religious teacher, Gene speaks to us an allegory that we may better understand, showing us where we as business entities are falling down and what we can do to unite our action. So whether you're a brilliantly capable IT individual just entering the trade like James or you're an executive desperate to understand the people and enigma of big data like Bart, pull up your chair and join us in this feast of wisdom all carefully cuisined to make your career thrive and your adventure flourish. Gene, I'm so glad that you could push back from your computer and help us uh, bring about the shared fellowship of tech and management. Oh man, uh, delighted to be here, and uh, thanks for having me on. Oh, that's great. Well, Gene, I wanted to start right off with one question that's been sort of plaguing me, and we just talked about this uh, off the air. That somehow, uh, that that from my grandfather right on down to students today, they enter into all their education with this sheep goat separation. That that there is. If you're good at the chemistry, then you're therefore in the sciences and you're good at technology. And if uh, I'm good at, at history, I'm therefore good at English and, and, uh, and the humanities. And by the way, neither of us is good at the other side of the wall. And did you, did you kind of feel this in your own education when you were growing up? Uh, you know, for, for sure. And I, I think we were, it was so fun uh, joking around with you beforehand. You know, life without a doubt, used to be simpler. Uh, I mean, I think if you look at the medical profession uh, in the 1950s, you know, arguably there were really two roles in a hospital. You had the, uh, you know, the emergency room surgeons, and then you had the nursing staff. And that was about as specialized as you get. But you go into a modern hospital, and you know, I think there's 50, 60 different uh, specializations. And you know, that's oh, how God we is. get cancer survival <laughs> rates, you know, up from, you know, uh, 90% fatality to, you know, I think, you know, in some cases, 15%. So it, it's great, but, you know, uh, we need technology and medical advances and specialization to pull that off. And uh, so I think specialization is a fact of life, but uh, mm-hmm. I think the future of work really is how do you take these massively much more complex workforces, whether it's in 
medicine or you know, airline, you know, assembling airplanes or uh, manufacturing cars uh, or oh, creating yeah. software that requires specialization. How do you make that work in a way that uh, um, – you know, where people can actually be productive because the old ways of working just simply don't work kind of when you have these much more complex specializations. So absolutely it's true, and I think it is a fact of life, and it's something I've certainly uh-huh. grappled with and faced throughout my entire career for sure. Well, and you've done it with Jovia Witt, which shows a great crossover right to begin with. But let's let's follow up on that then. Let's give you a chance to, to sort of fix things up. In your in your Unicorn Project book, it's, it's, it's uproarious, it's great, uh, the whole thing that kicks it off is that there is a payroll failure, uh, and several thousand of the 7,000 vital employees are not going to get paid on time. And it's it's a tech failure, and since it's a tech failure rather than a, the old-fashioned cash shortfall, uh, it means there's an end in sight, but you can't put your finger on the exact date. So here's the cliff edge, Gene. Let's promote you from CTO <laughs> to CEO of this firm, and you tell us – how you as CEO would handle that exact situation. How would you do it? And then I'll tell you my yeah, point, uh, what I do. You first. Yeah, it was, it was fun to sort of construct that scene uh, just because mm. um, if you look at uh, many um, critical technology failures, uh, right. it's just like airline crashes they, uh, or uh, space shuttle disasters, they boil it down to tech, it was a technical failure and a human error. <laughs> and so you know, the, 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 the countermeasure is always um, – Seems you know, like a dodge. Uh, yeah, oh, and it's, it's, it's terrible when you hear it in congressional testimonies right? because it's just something very deeply dissatisfying about like what the countermeasure is. You hold the person accountable. You put more training in, uh, and, and, and you know, I think the, the modern leader would look at that and say, I'm not sure if that would actually prevent <laughs> this disaster from happening again. <laughs> Uh, and so our hero, uh, Maxine, yeah. gets exiled you know, to Antarctica right on this you know, terrible Phoenix project that uh, the hope and aspirations and of the company hinges upon. And that yeah, process yeah. of compliance, the culture of fear, the culture of uh, everyone covering their ass, the culture of um, right. holding people accountable, um, you know, I think is actually quite destructive. And you know, uh, I, I love your incredible breadth of reading. Uh, one of the Fun books I read recently that just blew me away was a Team of Teens by General Stanley McChrystal, and he described the same problem. Right, that uh, there was always about finger pointing between the military services and the intelligence agencies, and uh, so if, if I, what it, I've learned in my research of studying high performing technology organizations for 30 years, yeah. if you look at Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google, I mean they uh, have all come to a different conclusion, which is that right. uh, you can't have a culture of fear. Um, and everyone being afraid to tell bad news, you need a this generative culture where they have psychological safety um, because you can't innovate. You can't uh, even um, fix things when your number one fear is like how to escape retribution. <laughs> and so, right. Uh, oh, I think that's so, an excellent uh, answer. I, yeah. I think that is – in fact, it's early in the show, but allow me to say that, that – Gene has just given us, my friend, a, a quill pen moment that is a timeless truth of business. I'd like you to dip your quill pen in the ink well and write it down that you cannot function an efficient business in a culture of fear of retribution. Marvelously put, Gene. Uh, it, quickly, what I would do in my own thing faced with, with this uh, shortfall, the first thing I would do is I would call the union leader whom you 
have in your book, to be fair. Uh, I would call the union leader and say, look, here's our problem. Now you tell me what we need what we need to cover as best we can and uh, because what your troops need. Uh, and uh, let's start talking to them and get them whatever we can get them as soon as we can. And uh, so let's work together on this. We're sorry we bungled it, but let's let's do it. That would be my shot. I don't know. This, but, uh, I love that, and, and, and that's holding myself accountable. I, I love that. <laughs> well, now another thing, Gene, in your, in your allegory, uh, you, that you did particularly well was you showed how that how the techies, as we put them, and the management execs, they're really similar souls with similar personal goals and motivations, and but but somehow this divisive wall has come up. Now what gets me is you don't have this divisive wall between say uh, management and production or management and marketing or management and distribution, but you have it in technology. Uh, Why do you have it? Why do why do we have this wall? <laughs> yeah, oh, that's a great question. And in fact, yeah, so I thought deeply about this question, and you know, I think it's because um, uh, you had this amazing guest on about uh, kind of the role of technology and so forth, and you know, he had this uh, notion of you know, is it a does the report to, does the technology report to the CFO or the COO? And mm. I think in both cases, often Technology is viewed as a cost center where everyone in the organization are interchangeable cogs that we can source to, you know, whatever the lowest cost supplier is in some remote part of the world, and uh, uh, that people are fungible and they can be replaced um, uh, oh, easily. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, Get and, another and techie so, in there. It, it doesn't. Yeah. Right. Right. They're, they're like right, a tool. Or like what? Or you give it to an outsourcing firm, and we'll take your mess for less, right? Uh, and these are you know, multi-billion-dollar <laughs> you know deals. Um, and you know, I think there's actually a level above. So if you look at the tech giants, uh, Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google, um, yeah, you know, increasingly yeah. they're encroaching upon you know the the turf of insurance company and banking. You take a look at Apple entering you know the credit card market. Right. You look at Tesla potentially uh, selling insurance. Right, <laughs> nowhere is safe. Mm. Um, and so. Technology is not a cost center. It, it is the profit center. It is the core competency of the organization. And I, I think uh, we're in, putting in 30, them on the wrong years, side of the ledger, aren't we? We're putting them. We're putting yeah. tech on the liability <laughs> side rather than the profit side, the profit generating side, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, yeah, I love your analogy of the marriage counselor. I mean, I think both sides have fallen into some very bad habits. Yeah, uh, you know, right. I think you. Uh, and I think on the technology side. You know, um, you know, I think the technology leader. We often talk about how thing, how much things cost, and I think that immediately signals to everyone in the room <laughs> that uh, you know uh, we are a cost center and um, kind of the way you know, we are reliable. We are, yeah, we're yeah we're responsible for critical functions like payroll, like uh, the the MRP, the production systems that make those plants run. Um, and yeah, yeah. I, I think what. Uh, Often we don't communicate. Are these are the most complex systems on the planet? Uh, that in order to get oh, yeah. you know people on airplanes and get them safely to the other side, uh, the, the technology systems even have to be more reliable than the airplanes themselves. And anyone who has a laptop yeah. knows that you know that is almost impossible. So uh, this it is, is a, a it is true challenge. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're working with uh, all of us work with flawed tools. 
uh, would you want to? Uh, I don't mind when my it, it's upsetting when my laptop screws up. But I do I want uh, do I want to be riding in a laptop at 80 miles an hour uh, going down the street and having right. decisions for me? <laughs> because and which is why some of the people at Bell Labs are saying we will have flying cars before we have self-driving cars. But uh, you are so right with that that we we do that. Oh my! Well, if in fact, for a moment, if, if you've just joined us. Oh, go ahead. What were you saying, Jay? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I think kind of on the other side, right, the other side of the marriage counseling uh, couch, right, is the <laughs> business leader who if you know, I think what they don't see is that you know, it is the same technology that they run every day on their laptop, and it's often been neglected for 40 years. So everyone has a spreadsheet that you know, they've used for years and years that are uh, very unreliable. <laughs> they took a little right. short, you know, some shortcuts. And you know, half the time they make changes. You know, um, you know, you actually generate a bad, incorrect result. And the same thing happens in code, right? So we have to have that time to uh, uh, to clean up our our mess, to clean up what we call technical debt, uh, so that you know we can regain speed with agility and really keep up with uh, uh, what the business needs and help lead the business to you know winning in the marketplace. So it's just this grand kind of confluence of. You know, all sorts of bad history, and yet it is such an important problem that these two communities work together. You know, you're right. I I wouldn't use I wouldn't use third, uh, marketing strategies and and marketing plans that were two two generations old. Why in heavens would I stick with tech? <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you've just joined us, you are listening to The Art of the CEO, which every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time floats seamlessly uh, across the mightily misunderstood realms of cyberspace, where you may listen and download uh, this and all our episodes by visiting theartoftheceo.com. That's theartoftheceo.com. As an added avenue, you may also enjoy our shows on C-Suite radio station. We're proud members of C-Suite, where masters of business blend their experiences to bolster your own inventive dreams. So just visit uh, all our Art of the CEO episodes on c-suiteradio.com. Gene, you do one thing, it's, 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 and you, you use the painfully appropriate analogy of Star Trek's Captain Kirk demanding warp nine uh, when <laughs> the, the, the poor Enterprise engineer Scotty's going, ah, oh, the lithium crystals are about to blow. And this is standard. Management, you sort of hinted at this before, that management asks for the moon, and engineers seek only to perform the norm. And uh, so you talk about, you, you frequently talk about, different, in your novel, about differing value streams. Tech has one stream, managers seem to have another. How do you blend them? <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, and I, I think you have to, right? It, it's... Uh... Yeah, uh, there was this at the Devil's Enterprise Summit uh, last week. Uh, there were two executives from Comcast talking about in 2004, you know, the kind of the uh, the famous Comcast uh, X1 remote that was, uh, you know, the size of uh, <laughs> the size of most keyboards, and uh, you know, to ship that, you know, to go from the concept to showing up in people's homes was about three years, um, and you know, every oh button God. on that huge remote was a VP in charge of that. I mean. It was this enormous, uh, enormous endeavor, uh, and, and yeah. so uh, you know, I think anyone who's been in large, complex organizations have dealt with uh, these sprawling uh, IT organizations. They know, uh, <laughs> they know that feeling, and yet you know the tech giants are able to. Amazon has something called two pizza teams, where every no team uh-huh. is larger that can be allowed to uh, be fed by two pizzas, and they are fully. Oh yes, right. Uh, I've heard that. Yeah, and so they are fully responsible for 
getting that capability to market. And so when you look at the two-pizza team versus the 50, you know, 70, 300, you know, 300 teams that need to work together to get small things done in large, complex businesses, I mean, it is um, it is stupefying. Um, you know, small, oh, yeah, it is, yeah, yeah. It's not big beats small. It's uh, fast beats slow, <laughs> right? And so – yeah, well, but you, but you're also pointing out you're you're giving proof through this that uh, you're talking a term who who lives the two pizza team, but also is darn productive. Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely, yeah. and and so I think that the trick is uh, how do you have business leadership embedded in the teams where it's not us versus them, it's oh. not requirements documents being mailed back and forth it's not contract negotiation account managers and lawyers it really is a team right. cross-functional working together mm. with a shared mission um and you know uh, that apparently is uh the key to greatness that allowed amazon <laughs> amazon got to where they were two pizza teams right. at a time so what you're saying is that i am a i am part of this i am part of this project team, who happens to be uh, a lawyer or marketer or a uh, DevOps uh, a code sourcer or whatever, boom. Yeah. I happen to have that skill, but I am devoted to this team and uh, this project and pushing it through. Absolutely. Uh, and, and that sense of common goals. And uh, mm. you know the, mm. I think they say in so many things. In fact, I think they said this about the Apollo program. Uh, in fact, I, I heard this from a researcher. He said, uh, "I was there, right? When during those days, during the Apollo days, you couldn't uh-huh. tell who was a NASA employee and who was a contractor from one of the big uh, aerospace firms." And really, uh, in the modern space program, you can tell, <laughs> right? There's a, there's yeah. a you know, uh, there's the roles yeah. and responsibilities. There's finger pointing, um, and so I think the, oh, yeah. the the key is how do we sort of recreate that greatness that comes when mm. teams truly work together. Oh, I'm so so glad to hear you say that. Uh, I we're I, I want to ask you one quick question, and that is, what uh, ever uh, did did you want to be a writer? At, at any time in your life, I mean, we all want to write and get our ideas down. I get that. But what made you turn to novels? And uh, is it just something you loved, or did it just seem like a good idea at the time? Oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah, so I was, uh, I was a technical founder of a uh, software company for 13 years from 1997 to 2010. Mm-hmm. And uh, the book that really knocked my socks off, I mean, changed my life, was a book called The Goal by Dr. Eliyahu Goldratt. And that was that uh-huh. novel of a plant manager, a manufacturing plant manager, who had to fix his cost and due date issues in 90 days. Otherwise, right. they would shut the plant down. And I just remember reading that in uh, probably around 2000. Uh, and uh, I was never worked in manufacturing, certainly never been a plant manager. But that lesson was so yeah. impactful to me. I mean, that changed the trajectory of my career. And you know, for over wow. a decade, wanted to write essentially the goal, but for the technologists and uh, so that was actually led to the book that you mentioned, The Phoenix Project. Um, and so that was also in this novel form. And you know, I just mm-hmm, I, I yeah. love that format, the business allegory. You know, Patrick Lencioni, The Five Dysfunctions of the Team. I remember reading that book on a plane and getting so stressed out, I I, I had to stop reading. I, I was like sweating uncontrollably, <laughs> realizing like this is <laughs> us. Right? And then uh, there's something very powerful about stories that sort of activate the part of your brain that not only make you learn better, but uh, 
uh, boy, do stories um, that trigger that feeling like, oh, my gosh, they're talking about us. <laughs> that's a very powerful, <laughs> you know, that's a pretty powerful book. So uh, that, that was the inspiration for me. That's marvelous. Well, Gene, the, the title of your latest book is The Unicorn Project, a novel about developers, digital disruption, and thriving in the age of data. Tell us where we can get a copy. Uh, in fact, at your any of your favorite book retailers like Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Apple, iBooks, uh, uh, wherever fine books are sold. <laughs> uh-huh. And actually, right. there are – Excerpts available. We've made about 60% of the book available for free. It launches on November 26th, and so uh, you can just search oh. Project Unicorn excerpts, and uh, uh, they are there for you to download. And if you enjoy them, um, you know you can pre-order it. And if you don't like them, then then by all means, do not uh, waste your money on it. <laughs> well, aren't you kind? I think that's wonderful. Good for you. You're giving us all a good Thanksgiving. I thank you. Uh, Gino is going to continue to bind us under one banner, uh, the voices of technology and biz uh, and all their leadership, right after you and I take a brief sorbet from today's Feast of Wisdom as I offer you a few uh, utensils for today's feast. And the first utensil, as I always do, allow me to remind each of you hearing my voice that the good Lord has gifted you with the title and privileges of Chief Executive Officer of yourself. And since that's really the most important position you'll ever hold in your career, allow me to ask, will this be the day that you look at the structure of all the organizations in which you take part and define a couple of segments that need improvement? Or will you continue to hobble along shackled by habit because repair just seems too time-consuming? The choice, my friend, is truly yours. As a second utensil, I can sense you yearning to steep your lips into a little laughter and taste a scriptural recitation from the 102 Best Business Quips book, so I am pulling it across here. It's on the table. We're going to get this. Um, okay, here, here, uh, no. here we go, here we go. This is it, number 81. <clears throat> when it comes to setting up business structure, pyramids are great. Pyramids are impressive, but they house only the dead. Uh, so what do you think, Jane? Does all this military chain of upward command and comparative titles, uh, does it does it really help or does it too often hinder the juggernaut of ideas that you really need to push a product out the door? You know, for your scholarly audience, I think many of uh, uh, you have read the book Team of Teams by General Stanley McChrystal, and, and he this is a question that yeah. he is grappling with as he is um, – uh, responsible for the uh, fighting Al Qaeda in Iraq, uh, and what do you do when oh, this lovely phrase, uh, the team is the boundary of which everybody else sucks? <laughs> right? So you have the best of uh, every unit there, but they can't stand everybody else. And you know, God help you if you're part of the intelligence agencies, then you really, really suck. And yet you need all these teams to work together to fight a very nimble but much smaller adversary. And the question he's asking is like, why are we losing? And it is, right. uh, I, I think. Probably the most uh, one of the most important books of our generation, where I think what we are all finding, whether we are a um, uh, at a military service, whether we are government agency, mm-hmm. whether we are corporation, you know, the management modes that worked for us for the last century are not working now. And I think the lessons yeah. we're learning you know, from the tech giants are that you know we have to uh, reignite the team as where uh, the work happens, where decisions need to be made. And so if you look at the uh, organizational learning uh, circles, if you look at the studies of the Toyota production system, I mean, it really the common theme is about uh, empowering uh, the innovation that happened at the edges 
fully supported by core. And so you end up with these very different structures uh, than top-down command. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think uh, I think that's true, and and the core being uh, noted by deepest involvement rather than the, than by a title. Giving a man the title of creative director doesn't make him so. Um, that's right. <laughs> I, maybe I, just think, well, I love it. Moment. Yeah, um, yeah. I think uh, the job of the leader for the last uh, century has been typically uh-huh. we define the goals, we define the work, we decompose the work, and then we piece it out to. Uh, all the little people, and then we create processes to measure it to make sure that they're complying, uh, and then assign remedial actions if uh, you know things go wrong, right? And uh, and <laughs> yeah. so these days, yeah, you know, I, th- I think the goals are, you know, the setting of goals stays, but increasingly uh, it is about guiding and enabling uh, the people actually doing the work, and then removing obstacles. It is not about creating more processes and rules and regulations. It is about uh, fully supporting and using every bit of um, their positional power to help the person doing the work get done what needs to get done. And I think uh, that is as true for the Toyota production process and the famous and-on cord where anyone can pull the and-on cord and the entire assembly line stops um, to the team <laughs> of teams uh, story. Yeah. I, I have this moral right. certainty that this is the future of work. I think you have just defined the absolute current need of leadership now uh, and what is going to be most effective because the only reason to be a leader is to be effective. I think you did that beautifully. Uh, at any rate, uh, if you smirked a bit over our, our silly quip and, it's, and all its discussion, uh, we've got these quips literally by the bookful. Just just go to bartsbooks.com uh, and pick up your copy of the 102 or the 101 best business quips and your jocular witticisms, 11-year sage comments until all, everyone is hanging on your every moment or words to that effect. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? Anyway, and as, your, uh, as a third utensil, we sumptuously spooned you the answer to last week's business quotation. That is, the name of the <clears throat> individual who said in one of his captions, all right, honesty is the best policy. Okay. Now, what's the second best policy? <laughs> Those words were spoken by none other than the great and recently late New Yorker magazine cartoonist, Mr. Don Farden. Congratulations to all you winners, and stick with us, because later on in the show, blurting your way, comes another enriching quotation. And if you're among the learned souls who knows the author of that quote, simply scribble that sage's name down as you believe him or her to be, and email it right off to info at bartsbooks.com. That's I-N-F-O at bartsbooks.com. And if you are correct, your knowledge will earn you a soul-igniting gift, freshly disemboweled from the dungeons of Bart's Books Bookstore. And Gene Kim is, continues to share his uh, wisdom and, and uh, solve the giant non-tech problems of business uh, IT specialists right after this introduction of the company by whose good graces we're here today, and that firm is Prometheus Publishing. And today, Prometheus would like to invite you to take a look at uh, one of its books uh, entitled CEO of Yourself, Getting Down to the Business of Your More Rewarding Life. So let me ask you, my friend, who's making your life choices? Are you directing the enterprise of you, or have you fallen into default mode? And is your governance bringing you that more fulfilling life you just know lies out there? Well, CEO of yourself helps you discover the many marvelous assets and employ them toward goals that are going to bring you a sense of mastery and an awful lot more fun. 
And I'm gonna let me give you a little caveat here with the CEO of yourself. It's not for lazy. It's not for weaklings. It makes you stand up and use the the model of chief executing officer, and makes you form such things as principle and forge your character and sculpt yourself into the effective person you want to be. But if you've got that kind of fire in your belly and a desire for an exhilarating life, then go for it, my friend. Pick up your copy of CEO of Yourself. Just visit bartsbooks.com and grab your copy. Carpe diem, my friend. You are indeed worth it. And now with utensils in hand, let's recalculate your creative mind back to Gene Kim, who has the answer to every IT professional's prayer. Gene, uh, your uh, heroine, Maxine, sort of storms into the the uh, uh, the story as as an ideal. She's hardworking. She's dedicated. She's flexible, even when she's when, when shafted, <laughs> and she's innovative. Yeah, yeah. More important, she's wide enough to accept good ideas when they flow through the corporate ether. So beyond that, you're you're CIT, and you're sitting down with the CEO. You're looking for some new tech talent to hire. What? T- tell our, our audience, what are you looking for in that talent? <laughs> in fact, you know, I, I think often you know, when these kind of critical technology initiatives are running behind, uh, you know, especially around uh-huh. digital transformation, of which the failure rates are like – McKinsey put out studies, it's 90% are failing, a trillion dollars being spent. <laughs> it's a lot of money. Uh, and, and oh, my so gosh. The, the answer might be we need more developers. But I, I think kind of the whole purpose of Maxine's first part of the journey right, is just and in my mind, uh, just uh, kind of the the scenes I was evoking in my head were about like mm. um, uh, Castaway. Was that the, the with the Wilson the volleyball like the the <laughs> oh yes right Wilson Island. the volleyball yes right right <laughs> it's a marvelous story. Right, uh, Robinson, right. yeah yeah or Robinson Crusoe where no one can get anything done <laughs> you know there's too many processes right. you need too many committees um, you know. Uh, uh, so you could hire, you know, like the equivalent of James Bond, uh, but you know he can't get <laughs> enough paper clips, and he, you know he can't get in the building. <laughs> just, right. So <laughs> the, the scenes are really trying to show what kind of daily works looks like. And you know, I think uh, for a CEO, a business leader who's you know uh, has is oriented towards action, if they were just to go into the work where development is done, <laughs> I think they would be mortified. Right? It takes. Um, in contrast, right at Facebook, at Etsy, right. Uh-huh. Facebook is fam- uh, famous for whenever a new engineer starts, they will deploy to you know code to the Facebook site probably by the end of the week. At Etsy, the famous e-commerce site that went public two years ago, uh, they do a deployment and update the Etsy site uh, by the end of the first day. Board members deploy, yeah, yeah. dogs deploy. You know, this, it's, it's meant to be safe. <laughs> Where in most organizations, you know. You can't do that until you're, you know, maybe five years in, and just that difference in contrast. Right. Uh, so I think if they were to sit down in technology teams um, and care enough to see, are they supported? Can they do the work that? Uh, are they able to do the work that they need to do? Are they supported by the tools they need? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think they would be shocked, and I think that's the level of support that these technology teams uh, need. So it's not about hiring more people; it is really fully with empathy understanding all the obstacles that these people face <laughs> every day um, and even taking an interest in that I think would make a material, immeasurable difference in, in mm. the productivity of the technology organization. Well, you know, it's been my – just when, as you say that, I'm thinking to myself, I see the teams I see working, uh, IT as, as well as, as others, they're really willing 
their natural human tendency to give that support one to another is really there, and it's coming out more and more. Am I am I right, or am I just, just deluding myself? No, I, I think so, right? I mean, I think we all know what great teams feel like. We uh, how it feels to be a part of a great team where um, everyone's working together, supporting each other. We're cross training each other. Um, we're not blaming yeah. each other, and uh, I, I think it's really bringing that dynamic bet- back between uh, business and technology. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not about not wanting to be held accountable. It's uh, about taking interest. I mean, and to, to your example, yeah, right? Yeah. You had mentioned your cross-functional team. Uh, I'm guessing everyone yeah. is good at what they do. Uh, everyone's familiar yeah. with the tools that everyone uses right. in their daily work to achieve the mission. And I think in technology, right, you hear – let me show you what the contrast is. Uh, people say, I'm not technical. I don't need to worry about the bits right. and bytes. That's your problem. <laughs> what a terrible thing to say to someone who's yeah, actually on I, your team. <laughs> you, you know, this is, this is a very funny thing. You're, you're right. People will say with pride. I've heard people say, oh, well, I don't, <laughs> I don't deal with that tech stuff, as, as if it's beneath me. They would never, you would never hear a CEO say, oh, I, I don't pay any attention to marketing or, or I don't pay any attention to sales. Are you kidding me? And uh, <laughs> there, there was a time a couple of generations ago where, where the, the president might say, well, I leave the money matters to the money boys, but, but generally not, not anymore. There's nothing the CEO wants, but I have heard b- executives of all levels say, with pride, uh, I'm a technical ignoramus. <laughs> I I say it with guilt and shame. I'm just what they call in, in technical terms stupid, and uh, and and I I struggle along with my best. But I can't imagine. Say, do you do you run into this a lot? People sort of tech, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And the answer is unfortunately yes, and that's kind of um, memorialized in the book, <laughs> in the in the villain Sarah, <laughs> right? Um, uh, who wants to hold people accountable but doesn't want to get in the mud, right, and uh, truly understand how to enable uh, you know, these very right. highly paid professionals. And, and to me, I, I would just love for people to read the book and say that is like a VP of sales saying I'm not interested in numbers. <laughs> I got people for that. Right. No, sales are all about <laughs> yes. numbers, right, and that's why they live in <laughs> spreadsheets. Um, and, yeah, you had yes. picked up the show about data. Right, this is uh, you know, the understanding the customer requires data. The age of software and data, right, requires understanding the data, right. And so this is you ca- uh, this cannot be delegated or uh, abdicated uh, entirely. This is you know has to be. This is a core competency of whatever business you're in, and and so that's uh, kind of this, uh, what I'm hoping to achieve through the book that show that even though this is a book about the red shirts in the engine room of the Starship Enterprise, the, the right. fate of everybody on the bridge crew depends on this, and that, you know, uh, maybe my aspiration is, you know, for this to be a vehicle for business leaders, you know, to be able to take an interest and realize the most important people on their journey are those individual developers. Then, let me ask you this. Uh, it was a... I, give me... Three or four things that I – I'm your CEO now, and you're my CTO. What and, – and I come on, and I'm sort of a Luddite. I don't, I don't understand, but I'm willing. What – give me a couple of – give me three or four things that I really, as CEO, need to know about tech that I perhaps wouldn't. Hmm. Yeah, that is a really great question. And, and uh, I think about when I was most effective as a technologist and a, a, a valuable business leader – uh, and I think what I would 
do is that you fully trust your technology counterpart. And and let me just put it, let's put it all on me. Mm. If uh, you were my CEO, okay. I mean, what I, I I replay these scenes in my head of where I blew it, and I would say, um, <laughs> Bart. I understand your business goals, and I understand why you're important. I, I'm even gesturing like I, I know I should have you know, 10, 15 years ago. Um, and I understand the oh political goodness. pressure on you, and I understand your, you know, the cap table that you have on the inside cover and then who's putting pressure on you from the board. And I understand your goals, and I also understand what's in the way, and, and, and I know it's important. Uh, and it's important to me, and I'm personally committed to helping you achieve and co-creating this with you. And here's some of the risks that are in our way. Here's some of the obstacles I need removed. Uh, I believe in your mission and vision. Uh, here's my strategy that I'm going to bring to the table to help you achieve that. And my at, and I'm going to come in with a bunch of asks saying, you know, here's what I'm going to need. Um, it's, it might be more money, but chances are it's your support. I need you know, this obstacle removed. We need these decisions made. Uh, we need these people to start showing up to meetings instead of like going off on sales calls. You know, I need these people here because without them, we can't do our work. And I would be coming to you week after week reaffirming <laughs> that uh, I understand what the goals are. Um, and uh, I wouldn't ask you to I'll educate you where I think it's important, but I would. My job is to convince you with fidelity and uh, um, conviction that I care, and uh, I think once we have that mutual trust, uh, and I think this, that's where the magic happens. God, you're hired. I want to hire you as my C, as CTO instantly. <laughs> that's fabulous. That's wonderful, Gene. I have a lot more questions I want to ask. I really wanted to grill you about your five ideals, one of your five ideals, but um, alas, we're going to have to have you back because I can't, uh, we, we're just running out of time here, uh, but I do want to, to just ask one more thing, and that is, it's obvious that that, uh, that the novelist, Mr. Kim, has a lot of very real applicable strategies and tactics to lay before technology uh, and managerial executives alike. So if I wanted to siphon off some of your expertise, how might I contact you to speak or perhaps consult with my firm right uh so i'm not a consultant uh but uh you know i think mm. the best way to see but you play one at various conventions no i'm sorry <laughs> right uh yeah I, I think uh i would say you can learn from the same place i learned uh all of the mm -hmm. talks from devops enterprise summit are available online uh just uh, youtube uh devops uh just search for devops enterprise summit videos any one of the plenary talks, you will see business and technology leaders grappling with the same problem and show how they're solving it. Uh, you know, describe, they'll describe, here's the industry we compete in. Here's the problem we set out to solve. Here's what we did. Here's what we learned. Here's the problems that still remain. Uh, here's how we, you know, here's the wins that we had. And uh, you'll be learning alongside me. Um, and, oh. and so I, I would certainly make that available. And I would just mm -hmm. say, you know, if you feel like uh, you haven't figured it out, uh, neither has anyone else, and I just am so proud that we have over <laughs> 300 case studies of the most recognized brands in almost every industry vertical realizing this is important and sharing their learning. So it has just been the most amazing journey for me, and I, I, if there's anything I can do for you or you all, uh, probably the best way to reach me is on Twitter. I'm RealGeneKim on Twitter, or just email me. I'm uh, Gene Say K that again. Say that name of the Twitter handle again. Uh, real Gene Kim. So real as in fake, Gene Kim. Uh, so real Gene Kim on Twitter. Okay. Uh, and you can send me emailing. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, Gene, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a real delight. It really has been. And we'll have to have you back. And so, I, again, I thank you so much for coming on.
Oh, Bart, thank you for having me on and keep up all the amazing work. And I look forward to our next interaction. Absolutely. Oh, wonderful. <clears throat> so as we round out today's feast, I am Bart Jackson, your curator of business wisdom, leaving you with today's business quotation. That is, a leader is best when people barely know he exists. When his work is done and his aims fulfilled, they will say, we did it ourselves. I like that one. And as a hint to the author, uh, born two and a half millennia ago, this leadership and life-directing Chinese philosopher and his Tao Te Ching addressed the same problems that we seek to solve today. And remember, if you know the author of that quote, just write the author's name down as you believe him or her to be. Send it right off to info at bartsbooks.com. That's I-N-F-O at bartsbooks.com to win a life and career igniting gift from the dungeons of Bart's Books Bookstore. And as a parting shot, in the words of my wife's husband, have you ever noticed how truly progressive leaders are so teeth-clenchingly absorbed in fixing a breakdown that they simply haven't time to find a scapegoat, cover, butter, or fix blame. Hmm. Uh, and to you gleefully sharing our feast, I hope you've enjoyed the art of the CEO as much <clears throat> as, excuse me, as much as Gene and I have enjoyed bringing it to you. And remember that you may download this on all our shows by visiting theartoftheceo.com. And finally to you, who have honored us with your time, may I say as always, it has been a privilege. And I thank you.